0: Heavenly Father, please give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What's your dream future? Do you have a dream future? As a race, human beings, you and I, have always been dreaming of a better future, isn't it? John Lennon's Big Heat, 1971. Anyone remember? Maybe the older ones among us. The song Imagine reflects such a longing of his days. Imagine there is no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for. Imagine all people living life in peace. Martin Luther King in 1963, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin. I have a dream. More recently, in 2009, avatar smashed the box office record. Remember? Why was such a movie with weird blue aliens such an epic success? I cannot understand. Well, it's because people constantly long for a better future. Do you know that many in America who watched the movie actually contemplated suicide, thinking that they will be rebirthed into a world like Pandora? Pandora? As a race, men have always been dreaming of a better future. We have an innate tendency to dream and to long for a better world. And as we look around the world today, we can understand why, can't we? Last week, thousands of human lives just vanished overnight. a typhoon, a wind. Deep down inside us, we know this can't be right. For those are not thousands of cockroaches that have been swept away. Those are thousands of fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, who vanish just like that. How can that be right? So as a race, we rightly long for a better future. We strive to make our world a better place. As Michael Jackson says. But frankly... We have to be honest that our track record shows how bad we are in making the world a better place. We have incredible medical breakthroughs over the years, and yet millions in the third world are still dying of curable diseases, simply because it doesn't pay to keep them alive. We have cutting-edge communication technology, Bluetooth, whatever, and yet relationships are still torn and people are hurt. The list goes on. The point is, as humans, we dream, we strive for a better future. But does anyone of us have any clue at all what makes a better world? We have been trying for centuries. In these closing chapters of Ezekiel, God reveals to Israel the future that awaits them and the world. Last week, we saw what awaits those who are enemies of God. Today, you will find out what kind of world awaits those who believe in Jesus. You will see today humanity's future according to Ezekiel. First point, a perfect temple. You can follow me on the outline. Three-point sermon, very clear today. Point one, a perfect, a perfect temple. The first and the most important thing Ezekiel saw in his vision about the future is a temple. As you read on from chapter 40 and follow Ezekiel in his virtual reality tour of the temple, the big impression you get is that the temple is absolutely perfect. The temple is absolutely perfect, numerically symmetrical, architecturally, geometrically designed. You may get a little bit irritated, but nevertheless stunned by the statistics that your virtual reality tour guide is whispering into your ears. Gateway opening, 180 inches. Side rooms, 108 inches on either sides. A lot of details there. But what does the vision mean? What does it say about the future? Does it mean that what awaits Israel and us is a physical, pampered-themed house, like pampered-themed hotels that we have today? No, Israel understood that the temple is where God stays with his people. The temple is where God stays with his people. You see, before King Solomon, God stayed with his people in a movable tent, in a tabernacle. Then during King Solomon's time, God stayed with his people in the temple. Ever since, the temple has always been a dwelling place of God in the midst of his people. So the point of the vision here in Ezekiel is that in the future, the people where God dwells, the place where God dwells with his people, the temple will be perfect. Completely ready for God to stay. It's not just a temple, but a perfect temple where God can move in anytime. But you may say, what's so great about that future? It's God's temple. It should be perfect, isn't it? Well, if you are an Israelite, you will know that that is not always true. In fact, the current state of the temple is pretty disgusting. You wouldn't want to move in, and definitely God wouldn't want to move in. It is stained with the sins of God's people. In Ezekiel eight, if you remember that, remember the little hole that in the temple wall that Ezekiel looked through. Through that, Ezekiel saw the great abominations that is happening in the temple. Inside the temple, people were worshipping anything and everything except God. And that drove God straight out of the temple, far away from the temple. But now, in the future, we see a perfect temple, a temple that is thoroughly cleansed. And so in chapter 33, we see God returning to his people, returning to the temple. Take a look with me at Ezekiel 43, verse 4. Chapter 43, verse 4. What does it say? As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This place is my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. God is returning to his temple. So point number one about our future is very simple. Not that there will be a perfect physical temple waiting for us, but that God will once again be with his people dwelling among them. Let's think about this for a while. This vision, this aspect of the future... Would have made the Israelites very excited. For they knew what it meant for God to have God in their presence. They have experienced that. They have enjoyed that for many years. They will be jumping with joy. How about you? Does such a future appeal to you when you hear it? Does such a future excite you and me at all? a future where God dwells with his people forever? We have all dreamed of our future... Think about all the hopes and dreams that you have had of a better world that you have imagined. Did you think that it was necessary that God must be there in order for it to be a perfect world, a perfect future? Ezekiel affirms that the first and the most important thing about the world's future is that God is present with us. Friends, this in fact is the very heart of Christianity. God dwelling with his people once again. So if you find yourself today not impressed with this future, there is really not much reason for you to celebrate Christmas this year or any other year. For Christmas, you see, is about finding joy in Emmanuel. God born as a man and lived among us. That is why we celebrate And also, if this future doesn't appeal to you, church wouldn't be joyful for you either. Coming to church wouldn't be joyful. For you see, church is where God promised to be present with us, where two or three are gathered in his name. And you will find no comfort in times of suffering and loneliness either. In these words of Jesus, I will be with you always to the end of age. If that's you, whether you have been going to church for a week or a decade, you must get to know Jesus and to re-know Jesus again today. For he is the one through whom God has dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Through Jesus And only through Jesus will you and I have the full experience and the joy of God with us. And through him, you can join millions of Christians all around the world who is looking forward to that day when the Bible says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21. Point two, the next thing that Ezekiel saw in his vision concerning the future is chapter forty-three, verse thirteen. Forty-three, verse thirteen, what Ezekiel saw in his next vision. Forty-three, thirteen. These are the measurements of the altar. And the rest of the chapter, Ezekiel keep talking and talking about the altar. What do you guys think of today when you think of altar? Well, you may picture a Taoist or a Buddhist or a Hindu altar, which is very common, with incense and fruits and perhaps statues. Or you may imagine a Lord's a table, maybe more elaborated, with candles and gold and silver wares, an altar. Is that what awaits Israel and us in the future? An altar. A perfect, physical, perhaps supersized altar. You will have guessed from our discussion in the temple that the answer is obviously no. What then does the vision mean? What does it tell us about the future and altar? Well, you may be unfamiliar with the significance of the altar in the Old Testament, but that doesn't matter. The vision itself is enough to show you what the altar concerns. Take a look at 4327. 4327. It says, And when they have completed these days, then from the eighth day onward, the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your offerings of your peace offerings. And I will accept you declares the Lord. The author you see represents acceptance. In the future, God will accept his people. He said, I will accept you. That is, not only will God be with his people in the future, God will accept his people. He will smile at them, he will greet them, he will warmly welcomes them. He accepts them. Accept. Does this word mean anything to you? Accept? To be accepted? Israel knew what that meant. For they have sinned big time. They lasted over idols and they abandoned God. They murdered and they were killed. It was shameful for them. God rightfully judged them. And now they hear this about their future. God says to them, I will accept you. Picture a husband telling his wife, I will accept you, even when the wife has been unfaithful. She repeatedly slept around with many different men, bringing them home, committing adultery with them at home on the same bed that she shares with her husband every night. That was Israel and what she did. Read Ezekiel sixteen. But God said, God the husband said to his people, I will accept you. Or you picture a father telling his son, I will accept you. Even when the son has been the most rebellious, he murdered, he stole, he lied. That was Israel. And yet God the Father said to his people, I will accept. Accept you. Now imagine you are the guilty wife, feeling, gu- feeling dirty about yourself. Imagine you are the bad son, feeling ashamed of yourself. Such a future where you will be genuinely accepted. Where you will hear, I will accept you. Wouldn't you long for such a future? The Bible consistently affirms that not only Israel, but the whole world have sinned against God. Think about it. How has humanity treated God? Humanity has treated God the same way that an unfaithful wife has treated the husband. We abandon God. We worship and trust everything except God. Just look around and you will see. We still do that today, even within the church. And humanity has treated God the same way that the rebellious son treats the father. We disobey God. We don't care about what he says in his word. Lies and injustice and unrighteousness is everywhere. That's why lawyers are still among the highest paid in the world. And yet, for such as us, the future that awaits us, God will accept you. The Bible explains why such a future is possible. The sacrificial system at the altar in this second vision that Ezekiel looks forward to, which guarantees an ongoing reconciled relationship between man and God, has come in Jesus at the cross where Jesus bore our shame and Jesus bore our wrong. Hebrews chapter 10, let me read to you. Says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin, but Jesus Christ had offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins. By a single offering, he has perfected, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christians, we now, today, have the joy of acceptance into the gracious presence of God on the basis of our faith in the cross of Christ. And Christians, in the future that awaits us, we will still have the same joy of acceptance on the basis of our faith in the cross of Christ. And that is the future that awaits us. Point three. The last image that Ezekiel saw in his vision concerning the future comprises of three things. A river, a land, and a city. Very fair, isn't it? For those who like the outdoor, you have the river and the land. City dwellers, you have the city. Okay? We'll go through together the river and the city. And I'll leave you to work out the land on yourself. Okay? Okay? First the river, 47 verse 7. 47 verse 7. I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And in verse 9. And wherever the river goes... Every living creature that swarms will leave, and there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, and that waters of the sea becomes may become fresh. So everything will leave where the river goes. What does this say about our future? In the future, our environment, our ecology, will undergo a transformation. When we look at our earth, this earth that you and I live in, it's an amazing place, isn't it? For those of us who have traveled, you know that it is beautiful. Or even within Malaysia, our earth is beautiful. As a race, we have gotten a lot out of the earth over the years. And as a race, we continue to enjoy what we get from this earth. It is a great place. But the Bible also tells us something about our earth. It says, ever since the first human sin, the earth has come under God's curse. Genesis 3.17, let me read to you what it says. It says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Since then, mankind... You and I have always been bearing the consequences of the sin, of our sin. The ground is harsh. Work is hard. But we hide this truth very well. We pour in billions of dollars to invent tools to cope with this hostility of the ground. With bigger and more sophisticated machines, as a race we begin to think that we are okay, that things are under control. But it's a delusion, isn't it? You and I know just a small change in the climate will send us panicking like the cockroaches. Just a drought or a flood, our crop, our livelihood, will all go straight into threat. Friends, our earth is not okay. Our earth is sick. It is characterized by curse and death. And the Bible diagnosed that rightly. But now in the future, here we see a life-giving river, cleansing and healing the entire land, the entire earth. It drastically transformed it from a place of curse and death to a place of blessing and life. It is the same future that Paul looks forward to in Romans 8. Let me read to you 8.21. It says, creation will be set free from its bondage and decay. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That is what creation itself is waiting for, for the day that it will be released from bondage. But you ask, how can such a future be possible? Is that really possible? Well, chapter 47, verse 12, tells us why. 47, verse 12. And on the banks, on both sides of the rivers, they will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. How is that possible? Because the water from them, flows from the sanctuary. The water from them flows from the sanctuary where God is. Now, do you see why the first and the most important thing about our world's future is that God needs to be restored, to be with us. The restoration of this earth to blessing and life is only possible when God, the source of life, is with us once again. For the river is capable of giving life only because the source of the river is God. And friends, this future, this life giving river that we see that rejuvenate the whole land, how do we know that it is not another myth or a legend? or simply an inspirational vision that you dream about once in a while. Well, you know that it is for real and that you can believe that it is for real because the power for this future to materialize has already been witnessed in the resurrection of Jesus. And it is being foretasted every day by Christians today. In John 7, verse 38, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this is said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. And in John chapter 10, Jesus said again, I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. The source of life, the one through whom the whole world has been made, has come, and has come in Jesus. And not only Jesus is giving life abundantly now, Jesus in his death on the cross had made it possible that man and God is reconciled, and that God is once again in the midst of man just one more point to make about the future city one simple point point. and that is the point that's made by Ezekiel at the last verse of the whole chapter or in fact the whole book chapter 48 verse 35 the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits that's not the point It's the next verse. And the name of the city from that time shall be, The Lord is there. You see that? Ezekiel ends with, The Lord is there. That will be the name of the city, the new city that God is rebuilding. It is a consistent message throughout the whole of Ezekiel. If you have been lost in Ezekiel, the message is very simple. Ezekiel chapter 1 begins with telling us that God is on the throne. And then the whole story tells us that God leaves the temple because men have sinned. And that caused chaos. And that explains the problem of the rest of humanity as well. Why are we struggling so much as humans? Because as humans, we have rejected God. God said, get out of my place. We try to run the world without the Creator, and obviously we fail. Ezekiel then says that God has returned to his temple. In the future, a day will come when God will once again live with human beings. And Ezekiel 48 ends with saying that there will be a time where that city itself, where God will be seated upon his throne. And you and I know as Christians that in Jesus, God has walked on earth. And in Jesus, God has made it possible that he can be reconciled to man, even though we are sinful, because Jesus' blood has washed us clean. Christians today look forward to a day when thoroughly everything, all the sins and all the imperfection of this world will be completely get rid of. And that day will come when Jesus returns. And that will be the city that we will find true joy. And it is true joy because God is in our presence. So as Christians, neither get too comfortable or too despaired with this place that we live in now. For we know that as those who are in Christ, in the next song that we're going to sing, we are those who await a better place where God is on the throne, where the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. The heavens and the earth renewed, a city built by God, descended from the sky, prepared for us. We await a better place where there is no more fear, and God has swiped the tears from our eyes. The one who sits upon the throne is making all things new. The people of God will worship him. Let's stand and sing. We await a better place.